Welcome to Why Is This Good, a podcast by the Naples Writers Workshop. I'm Christine and I'm here with John. Hey, John. Hello. All right, it's my turn. I picked a story by Richard Ford called Sweethearts. We turned onto the street where the jail was. It was an older part of town and there were some old white two-story residences that had been turned into lawyers' offices and bail bondsmen's rooms. Some bars were farther on and the bus station. At the end of the street was the courthouse. I slowed so we wouldn't get there too fast. You're going to jail right now, Cherry said to Bobby. Isn't that something, Bobby said. I watched him up in the rear view. He looked down at Cherry and shook his head as if it amazed him. I'm going to school as soon as it's over, Cherry said. Why don't I just go to school with you, Bobby said. I think I'd rather do that. No, sir, Cherry said. Oh, Cherry, please don't make me go to jail. I'm innocent, Bobby said. I don't want to go. Too bad, Cherry said and crossed her arms. Be nice, Arlene said. Though I knew Cherry thought she was being nice. She liked Bobby. She's teasing mama, aren't we, Cherry baby? We understand each other. I'm not her mama, Arlene said. That's right, I forgot, Bobby said. And he widened his eyes at her. What's your hurry, Russ, Bobby said. And I saw I had almost come to a stop in the street. The jail was a half a block ahead of us. It was a tall, modern building built on the back of the old stone courthouse. Two people were standing in the little front yard looking up at a window. A station wagon was parked on the street in front. The fog had begun to burn away now. I didn't want to rush you, I said. Cherry's already dying for me to go in there, aren't you, baby? No, she's not. She doesn't know anything about that, Arlene said. You go to hell, Bobby said. And he grabbed Arlene's shoulder with his hand and squeezed it back hard against the seat. This is not your business. It's not your business at all. Look, Russ, Bobby said. And he reached in the black plastic bag he was taking with him and pulled a pistol out of it and threw it over onto the front seat between Arlene and me. I thought I might kill Arlene, but I changed my mind. He grinned at me and I could tell he was crazy and afraid. And at the end of all he could do to help himself anymore. I wrote yikes by the side of that paragraph the first time I read it. Yikes. <laughs> Yowza. Okay, so I don't know how I came across this book or story like I never usually do, except that when I started to read about uh, Richard Ford, it turns out that pretty much anytime anyone has said something shitty about any of his works, he has like done terrible things to them and like one time spit on someone. And I want that to happen to me. So Richard- Oh, but this is called Why Is This Good? So we're saying yeah. good things, right? It sounds like he is, uh, he bristles at any mention of anything less than stellar. So <laughs> I hope that this finds him and, and he- hunts me down because For this episode we'll call it why is this amazing <laughs> why is this flawless richard <laughs> and apparently he mostly writes novels it sounds like but he's also like a lot of novelists done some terrific short stories that it, maybe he's lesser known for but this was one of them so bobby is the criminal he's passing bad checks and it's like caught up with him basically and like the premise is that his ex-lover and her new lover and the new lover's kid cherry are taking him to jail and for some reason like these are still the only people that don't hate his guts and they're the ones who he asks like will you take me in and he has breakfast and russ cooks him breakfast and then russ is like yeah let's like go to jail now i'm sick of this and they all pile up in the car and they like drop him off and then they drop they're gonna drop cherry off at school afterwards and bobby like throughout is just like unhinged and they made it a point to mention that like he's only gonna be in jail for about a year but his life is crumbling in a way he he's having this like meltdown as if he's sentenced to death row like there's no 
hope, you know, and really all that's going to happen is he's going to get like a little reset one year. Come on. He is acting like it's literally the end of the world. And there's this like rising tension throughout. You're kind of waiting for there to be this conflict. And then the section that I read is the conflict that it turns out this book amounts to. But you think it's going to be much worse. You're waiting for like a gun or a violent outburst. Like the way he talks to Russ is really tense. The way he talks to Arlene is like back and forth. Like he has a little bit of an argument with her, but then he's sweet with her. And then he like cries with Russ. And he's like, you know, I really want what's best for you guys. His emotions are all over the place. And like, as a reader, you're just like, something is about to happen. It's like your spidey sense when you see someone on the street that like comes up to you, you know, and you're like, I don't know if this person needs directions or money, but my spidey senses are going off. And like, that's what it was like reading this entire story. He's having a meltdown and that's like kind of what the story is about. So I guess Richard is doing something interesting here with tension. Like the entire story, you're off kilter and you're waiting, waiting, waiting. And that's what it amounts to is he pulls out a gun. And he's like, never mind. I was going to use this, but I won't. And it turns out there's no bullets in it, but that's like kind of the point. They invited a um, unpredictable force into their house and right. they have to interact with them for a little while. Yeah. And um, it's, there's some just natural tension in that. And then his mood swings are, um, you know, they have to figure out how to handle those. You know, he's crying at the breakfast table with Russ after Arlene went in the room with Cherry. And then the outburst, or when they get to the jail with grabbing Arlene's shoulder and then outside the car, he's trying to get Russ to fight with him before he finally just yeah. surrenders and goes up. So there's all that just wild emotional turbulence and that, you know, as people, if we were in this in the situation, we want other people to just be predictable, like yeah. maintain a kind of level of composure of emotion. Like if you're happy, remain happy. If you're sad, remain sad. I know what to, I know how to deal with you. But if you're all over the place, then you get that uncertainty and tension. And he's definitely all over the place, so it feeds into this. Right. And when he's out of the car, they have to kind of like, all right, let's reset, let's drive out into they go to the city, yeah, and they came back and. Um, Try to reset, try to, you know, wash that turbulence out of our mouths. Yeah. And then uh, the conclusion is just kind of like, this is written in the point of view of Russ. It's first person Russ. So he's kind of like, why is this happening? You know, why do I have to do this? Oh, it's because I love Arlene. Okay, fine. I'll do it. But to your point, he's holding his breath because he's uh, he's invited this like live wire, this unpredictable force into his home, but it's only because his because Arlene says, let's do this, even though she's, she knows Bobby really well and she's not necessarily like hundred percent in his corner, but she's like there for him, you know? And because she said she would do it, like Bobby's got to do it or uh, Russ has to do it. So like Russ is kind of, he's like grinding his teeth, but doing it, you know, he's biting his tongue this entire story. He doesn't want to do this, but he'll say whatever he's got to say to Bobby to like get him through. He just wants to drop him off. He seems a little sage from time to time too, you know? Yeah. He's got this little, oh, what was that one where Bobby's like, uh, they're talking about how many times he'll let the phone ring for his mother and uh bobby's like 50 is way too many i think and russ says uh it's what you think now but then was different there's a familiar story bobby said it's everybody's story i said the then and now story so just little moments like that you feel like oh he's got this weird wisdom about it Mm -hmm. he's trying to like offer that yeah russ seems like the kind of guy that if arlene said let's go have drinks with bobby he wouldn't be as down to offer those kinds of like tidbits of wisdom but like he knows that they have like a deadline right he's about to drive him over so he's he's like being patient 
in, he's kind of indulging Bobby. This is the last time Bobby gets to say what he feels before he goes and has this like, you know, life altering experience behind bars with people that are not going to care about his feelings. And Russ is like, all right, I'll say whatever I got to say. And like, I get it. And Russ is also like coming from a place which this is like getting to the ending because I don't know what this story was about so much. It was just like a tense buildup. But then like, if you really look at the ending, it seems like Russ is able to come from this patient place of like grin and bear it because with someone like Bobby who like he wants nothing to do it doesn't sound like Russ associates with these people anymore if he used to right like he's like almost grown out of people like Bobby it's not like Bobby's like a different class or different type of person or anything it's just kind of like Russ doesn't bother with these people anymore and by the end he's got this you know little summary where he says something to the effect of Bobby was like a trapped scared animal and he was freaking out because not just because he was about to go to jail it was only a year and he wasn't about to like lose everything necessarily either but he was alone so like that's what russ is kind of pointing at by the end and i think that's why russ is able to come from this place of calm he has everything he wants in life in arlene and in cherry and he says that a couple different ways and times right like he's got this daughter from a different relationship who's cherry and she seems sweet and on the right path so far she's pretty young but that's squared away and he's got her looks like in his care and then Arlene is this like wonderful woman that he met kind of later in life who was treated pretty bad by Bobby and now they've like found their second romance with each other and they're like probably gonna stick it out and Russ is like I have my all my shit figured out and this woman Arlene is everything to me and I'll never leave her because I know that and Bobby's over here like having been the guy that was looking at other women while he was with who Russ says was the catch you know I don't know I think the the point of the story was yeah i'd be freaking the fuck out too if i didn't already have these wonderful people in my corner and if i hadn't made sure that my life turned out in a way that these people didn't turn their backs on me arlene hasn't turned her back on bobby she's there for bobby but bobby also knows like emotionally he is alone he might have a ride to jail but nobody's trying to make sure that he's doing well mentally right they don't care they're showing him like common human decency but they don't necessarily care about his plight so he's like crying to russ and russ is like yeah yeah there you there bobby i guess it's an interesting sentiment it's like when you drive past a car crash and you feel bad for a little bit if you like see a ambulance or something you're like oh my god you have this brief moment of sympathy and then five minutes later you're 20 miles down the highway and you're not thinking about that person anymore you know because that their grief is their own bobby's like completely alone russ is not going to worry about bobby behind bars he doesn't care but he'll be nice to him in that moment it is interesting there's um hints you know cherry recognizes the dog when she sees him out the window yeah and um they have a rapport they know each other he's definitely interacted with the family before right and obviously recently because cherry the kid I, i'm not exactly sure how old she is but she seems pretty young she's not like a teenager i'm thinking like seven or eight yeah i don't know yeah like elementary school yeah so she's she knows him well enough. He's around enough that she knows him fairly well and feels comfortable with him. He's a known entity, like, but he's also kept at arm's length, I feel like. I don't yeah. think this guy got to know the family going to like Sunday dinner. But I think that because Bobby is such a mess and because Arlene truly cared about him, even if she cut him off eventually, like he's just like this hovering figure on the fringes of their situation, which is why yeah. Russ is, is so eager to drop him off. He, he knows that <laughs> he gets one year of reprieve, you know, like this guy his lover's ex who he's very tolerant of but doesn't like and want to deal with is going to be gone and he's like thank god because i've been having to like deal third hand with his problems for how long what else did you like about this story i thought it was just kind of like 
now I'm dating Richard Ford. It was just pretty straightforward. <laughs> there was nothing like extremely complex about it. I think the characters were very well drawn. I feel like I understood who each of them was supposed to be rather quickly. Like Arlene is a forgiving woman that, you know, like I said, has found happiness with Russ. Russ is a tolerant man who will do what he needs to do for Arlene. And Bobby, at this moment at least, is unhinged because he's done some stupid things that have finally caught up with him. And Cherry is like, like all kids, the comic relief that I don't care too much about, but who adds something to the overall tenseness of the situation in that she's probably most vulnerable. She's also the calming influence. It's straightforward in that we are told pretty early on, this is a situation. We got to drop this guy off at jail. And then like, we don't really know where it's going, except that, like I said, there's some rising tension and then there's, it's like anticlimactic. And then when they cool down, you kind of get like Russ's take on it, which is that, like I said, this is a guy that's alone and I'm glad that I'm not him. It seems like, I don't know, like well done, but not (laughs) exceptional or anything. I don't think that there's some other like level to this that we've missed or some like extreme cleverness that, you know, we're missing entirely. You're trying to, you're trying to get him to spit on you, aren't you? Yeah. I want him to come and find <laughs> I, I agree that it's pretty straightforward. I mean, I think that like you were saying, the characters are well drawn and they're quickly drawn. You know, it's pretty effortless, at least effortless for the reader. You get to understand the characters very quickly and they're, they're very distinct. But yeah, I think it is pretty, um, not simple, but contained, straightforward. Yeah. I don't think I have anything else to say about this story. I do, but it's my takeaway. Go for it. What's your takeaway? So the thing I was thinking about when I finished this was just the narrative style. And I'm talking about narrative style. I'm not talking about story structure or anything. I'm talking about as the narrator. The narrator is like building to some kind of insight. It's a first person narrative. It's like, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you this lesson I learned or this thing that I figured out. So in order to kind of gain some authority or earn your trust as we go along, I'm going to offer like these little insights along the way, right? Like little insights into people's characters or into the way things are. You know, this is something that all fiction kind of does, but I think in a voice that this kind of narrator would have, it's really overt and not super overt, but more overt than like in a regular piece of fiction where you kind of have to figure out what the message is. So there's this there's this line, uh, they're sitting in the kitchen and uh, I think he described that the, they used to, the place they were living used to be a um, jewelry store. So there's a camera, a weird, weirdly placed camera in the kitchen. It says Bobby looked oh, up yeah. at the security camera above the kitchen door and with his finger and thumb made a gun that he pointed at the camera and made a soft popping with his lips. Then he looked at me and smiled. It seemed to make him calmer. It was a strange thing that line it was a strange thing is like this kind of comment on what had just happened you know you don't need it in that instance but it's like the the narrator kind of offering a perspective on things right and not needing something it's like uh cherry looks out the window and says there's buck talking about the dog there's buck she said buck was the dog's name you don't need to say that we know based on earlier the context we can figure out that she's talking about the dog he had just mentioned the dog was outside she just looks out the window but i think a little thing like that it kind of helps establish this voice right this authoritative voice like i'm going to impart some wisdom on you through this story and come to a point in the story where i'm going to like spell it all out for you it's almost as if the way it accomplishes 
signaling to you that it's going to impart that wisdom is by saying like, I'm not just going to tell you the story, but I'm also going to like tell you what I, what I'm thinking. Like I'm sitting back, I'm like an impartial observer, even though I'm a character. Yeah, exactly right. He's like, I'm not just telling you a story about what happened. I'm telling you a story and what I think about that story. When they're outside and they, Bobby's trying to get him to to fight him. And Arlene kind of says, what are you guys doing? And she makes a joke. Are you kissing goodbye? (laughs) And then uh, the narrator comes in. I knew in that in the end, he would give in to things and go along without a struggle. He was not a man to struggle against odds. That was his character. And it is the character of many people. So he's not just commenting on Bobby, right? Yeah. He's commenting on a lot of people. He's saying, this is a generalization I can make about Uh the world. Like a lot of people are like this. Uh So this this all leads up to the last paragraph when he's like, he goes into this long thing and it's, it just feels like this sage kind of wisdom that he's giving to us now as readers. And it ties to the story. It's a d- direct reaction to the story, but it's kind of like, this is my, as the narrator's message to you at the end of the story is like what it's all about and what, what we're doing here. And I think that that moment gets earned through the way in which the voice establishes that throughout. Right. A lot of what he does in here, it's very s- not simple as in like facile, but the the descriptions are very tight. They're very spare, you know, everything that certain style of fiction would ask you of. But there's those little extra moments that don't need to be there that kind of establish his voice. And um, th- my takeaway is just how that's done. Yeah. You know, it's interesting if you were to follow style advice, like how to write fiction advice, you know, workshop advice about prose, about your prose level stuff. I think most fiction all sound the same. We would never talk about voice. You know, there's this weird disjunction between the advice of learn craft, learn the rules of craft, and also go find your voice. It's like, if you learn the rules of craft the way they're taught, you will not find your voice because you'll find the voice of craft, right? You have to oh, break yeah, those sure. rules in order to have a voice. And not sure. just your voice as an author, but a character's voice breaks the rules of craft because the character has idiosyncrasies and like ways of speaking and ways of thinking about things that are going to break those rules. They're going to tell when they're supposed to show and they're going to do all these things because that's their voice. That's part of how they see the world. That's why I think a lot of these little moments that establish the narrator's voice, narrator's style are moments that could be deleted, you know, in the workshop and say, you don't need that, delete it. It's like, that's what's making this the character. This is, that's what's making his have a voice. Yeah. Yeah. I like to think we wouldn't have told someone to delete those specific instances, but you're right. Like uh, they're not necessary. At least we wouldn't have suggested someone add them. No, no, we, you never, yeah, that's a good point. I think, you know, as in the workshop, we wouldn't necessarily tell people to delete that because we'd recognize it even in an unconscious way that like it's doing something. It's not just yeah. there superfluously, but uh, somebody who's just letter of the law kind of going down the style guide stuff would be like, you don't need that line. Yeah. You don't need that line. Ignoring what they do actually accomplish. But you, yeah, nobody would say in the workshop, I think you should add this particular line here because it does this thing. Yeah, right. It definitely has a voice, but it's not often that we can like point to specific lines that accomplish that. But yeah, he did it a few times. My takeaway is uh, probably going to go back to the tension bit that I just talked about at the beginning, which is like, and I've probably talked about this before, but I don't know that I've made it a takeaway necessarily, but I'm thinking of other stories that we've read and some of the most memorable are usually ones that like made me uncomfortable. (laughs) It's like (laughs) any, and by uncomfortable, I don't mean like, oh, this isn't, this is distasteful somehow. More like where the scenario was 
like kept you on your toes. So all these stories where there is a, a very specific scenario. So this is a very specific scenario, right? He's taking his yeah. lover's ex-lover to jail. That is very specific. And so it lends itself to a certain kind of like expectation, you know? And when you're writing about something so specific, you're priming the reader to recognize where this particular plot could go. So this is like, oh, he's going to take him to, to jail. But like, if that's the premise, then the conclusion cannot be he arrives safely at jail <laughs> or else you wouldn't be telling me this story, right? Like I'm waiting for something to go wrong. It's so simple. And the stakes are kind of weird and high. And so the premise is interesting. Obviously the character is unhinged. And so when you think about writing a character that's like just by unhinged, I don't mean like insane or anything or, you know, violent or anything. It's just kind of like he's unraveling emotionally in the moment and he's kind of unstable like he's unpredictable so a character like that can be probably pretty fun to write because it's just erratic behavior but if you write it in a way that's you know telling the reader this is erratic behavior you could probably get away with like what would otherwise be inconsistent characterization or something <laughs> like one minute he's crying one minute he's laughing one minute he's like being snarky and mean and pulling a gun right you couldn't necessarily get away with that with another short story because I'd be like are we sure this is the same person I'm not convinced but when you tell me this guy's going like off the rails here that makes for good reading and then also i'm like what's gonna happen what's gonna happen what's gonna happen and then you know inevitably like so many short stories it's anticlimactic right i have a gun and i'm gonna shoot you but then i decided i wasn't gonna shoot you and also <laughs> there's no bullets in it anyway and then the conclusion cannot just be that ending it has to be you know the narrator pontificating fine whatever that's what makes a short story <laughs> but there's still like some tension here that is memorable for the plot so you can't talk about this conclusion without remembering, oh, yeah, that's when they take the guy to print to jail, you know, and it's weird. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't think we often explore tension that way. We often uh, want our readers to read because they're interested and they think that we're clever and we're going to unfold something or deliver on a promise. But another way that you can just get me to read is if you like tell me shit's a little weird right now and then I'll be like, what's going to happen? This is awkward and scary. Yeah. I think you might be pointing to a difference between like that story Snow Dale Bailey, yeah, where aliens are breaking through windows and stuff, and that's a certain kind of tension. But this is another kind of tension, you know. Whereas the other one, like we don't know what event is going to occur next. Whereas this one is we don't know what the character is going to do next. The character is the uh, uncertainty. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> well, uh, Richard, I'm not hard to find. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to our monthly newsletter at our website, NaplesWritersWorkshop.com. And for daily writing tips, industry news, and great short fiction, join our Facebook group at Facebook.com slash groups slash Naples Writers Workshop.